Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. On today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is continuing our study of the church. And speaking of churches, if you're looking for a place to worship, a people to connect with, let me invite you to join us at Calvary Baptist Church. We're located at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. You can find out more information at calvaryfayetteville.com, email us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com, or call us at 479-442-4634. Again, on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is talking about the church with a message entitled, A Picture Worth a Thousand Words. And it's taken from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Let's listen together. Well, finish the uh, old saying with me. A picture is worth what? A thousand words. Well, I believe it was Frederick R. Bernard who first coined that phrase, at least in the English language, in an essay that he attributed to a Far Eastern origin, the statement, but who knows for sure. A picture is worth a thousand words. It is true. Oftentimes, a picture, whether a photograph or perhaps a work of art, has the power to evoke emotion and a response that is beyond just mere words. It's not just an emotional response. Sometimes pictures can teach us things, help us see truths. Uh, that maybe it would take uh, a lot of words to explain. Well, let me, uh, allow me a few minutes to maybe just show you some powerful images to kind of set the tone for what I'm talking about. So, Joy, if you can bring down these lights a little bit so that people can see the screen a little bit better. Can you imagine being the first human to ever pass by the dark side of the moon and to come out on the other side, not to a sunrise, not to a moonrise, but to be the first men to ever see the earth rise. By the way, that was 1968. Those three men, Borman, Lovell, and Anders, were the first to see that sight. What a, what a stunning image. Let's go to the next one. How about this couple? I just love that. Still in love after all these years. Well, at least he is. We're not sure about her, right? How about this one? Speaking of love, check out this cemetery in Ireland. I don't know if it's still this way, but for many years it was that Catholics and Protestants could not be buried in the same cemetery. That there would be a wall between the cemeteries. And here, this religiously mixed marriage found a way to show their love for each other in spite of man's barriers. I don't know if you can see that, but that's an arm and a hand reaching out and holding hands over the wall that separates them in death. A picture can show great loss and sorrow 
as a result of a violent storm. Maybe you have experienced something like that. Or it may show beauty in the midst of violent war. Or maybe compassion in the midst of horrible, horrible starvation. Or a picture can show grief in a time of great loss. I don't know if you can see this boy's face and the tear running down his cheek, but this boy was saved from a life on the streets and certain starvation by a teacher who took him in and who loved him, gave him an education, and now he plays at the funeral service for that teacher. Homecomings always are moving. And who is not moved by a picture like this? This family rushes to welcome home a husband, an American pilot who was shot down over North Vietnam and spent many years in a North Vietnamese prison camp. And more recent than that, this warrior mom is welcomed home from Afghanistan by a daughter who quite possibly was too young to remember her ever going off to war. Pictures can evoke all kinds of responses from us. And let's end on a forward look to a homecoming. I've shown you this picture before. I love it. Not just because I'm a baseball fan, but I love this scene of, of, a, of a player rounding third base. He's just hit the walk-off home run to win the game. I want you to look at the body language and the faces of his teammates and the fans as they are welcoming him home. He's almost home, just like we sang about last Sunday. And what a homecoming awaits him. And what a homecoming awaits you and me as we head towards our heavenly home. Yes, a picture is worth a thousand words. So I want to read to you a passage that comes after some very bleak words. If you remember, Ephesians chapter 2 begins with a desolate description of mankind without Christ. The apostle says, in the first few verses, that we are dead because of our sins and our trespasses. He talks about our evil desires that are within us, that give way to disobedient lives in the way that we live. And as a result of all of this, we are dead. We are without Christ. We are without hope in the world. But then verse 4 is where it all begins to turn. Verse 4 has these two simple words, but God. But God. He is indicating that what he has just had to say does not tell all the story. Here is the rest of the story. 
and we deserve that, and we discover that undeserving as we are, God's grace and God's mercy is shown through Christ. And it finally gives way to verse 8 and 9, those oft-quoted verses, for by grace you have been saved through faith. We've been talking about that the last several Sundays, that faith. And that faith is not your own doing, he says. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Our salvation is attributable to God. And God's calling us to himself and giving us the gift of faith. Well, that changes everything. We are now his workmanship, he says in verse 10, his masterpiece. We are works of God's grace. And as he continues on, he talks about how the difference between Jews and Gentiles is broken down, that we are one people in the Lord. And finally, he gets to verse 19, and here is where I want to focus today. So then, you were no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. How amazing is that passage. And especially as it gives way to chapter 3 and the glories and the mysteries that, that he includes in that short chapter. Finally, that chapter give, giving way to the words, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all ages forever and ever. Amen. Well, did you notice some of the word pictures in that text? You are no longer strangers and aliens, and immediately perhaps a picture comes to mind, maybe of that long line of people trying to make their way into the United States of America from places south of here. Strangers and aliens, it's what we once were. But now we are fellow citizens. We are members of God's household. And again, that conjures up maybe a mental picture of what it means to be a citizen and a member of God's family. That's what household means. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, as we have already sung, that, that Christ is the foundation of our lives. But then on that foundation are built another foundation of apostles and prophets. And Jesus himself, Messiah Jesus, is the cornerstone, the one that gives alignment and direction for our lives. And this whole structure grows into a holy temple in the Lord. No longer is it a temple made by hands on a mountaintop in Jerusalem. But now you are the temple and the church together is being built 
into a holy temple in the Lord, the place where God dwells. And we are built together into a dwelling place for God. God employs these kinds of descriptions, these metaphors to describe the church. You remember from your English classes for some of you long, long, long ago, right? What a metaphor is. It is a word or a phrase or a picture used to explain and help us understand something else. What we read in the New Testament, and when we read in the New Testament, we find several of these metaphors that are pictures of the church. Some of them we just read. Citizens, God's household, a holy temple. In other places, the church is described as a field, a family, a building or structure. I love that Timothy, as Paul writes to Timothy, he says the church is the pillar and the buttress of the truth. Did any of you watch any of the funeral service for Queen Elizabeth this past week? Did you see pictures of those old, those ancient Buildings, the castles, the cathedrals, specifically maybe St. George's where her final service took place. And you see the soaring heights of these buildings built hundreds of years ago. And you see both on the outside and on the inside, there are these flying buttresses similar to these beams, only much larger and extended further out to bear the enormous weight of the roof of those buildings. They had to build out to have the strength. Well, the church is the pillar and the buttress of the truth. The truth of God's word in this world is held up by you and me. That's who we are. Also, the church is described as a bride adorned for her husband, and as a body, as a, as a human body made up of many members. Each of these metaphors trigger a picture in your mind. And from that image, you draw conclusions and truths about the Lord's church. And that is exactly the point. Give me, let me give you an example. If we were to say that the Lord's church is a field, which it does in Scripture, that we are a field. Well, with that picture, what do we know? Well, you can draw several conclusions. If I were to preach on it this morning, you know me, three P's. First of all, a field is purchased. God has purchased you. You have been bought with a price. A field is planted and then cultivated. God does his work in you and me of discipling us, of growing us, of cultivating us. He has planted us and he is now working us. And sometimes the pruning and that work can be, can be painful, but he's causing us to come to a place that a harvest is produced. And God desires to see a harvest as a result of your life, as a result of Calvary 
Baptist church. So that word, a field, is worth a thousand words of preaching it. Now, don't you just wish I would say amen and we could all go home. But like I said, if I was going to preach on that, but that's not the metaphor I want to focus on this morning. Instead, I want to focus on three others. But first, let me give you this key truth. Understand this to be true. The New Testament is clear that church membership is not an option for the Christ follower. Did you hear that? Church membership is not an option for the Christ follower. In God's plan and in God's word, there are no free agents. There are no independent contractors in God's plan for his people. We live in a culture that has shaped ideas about the church more than scripture has shaped the ideas and understanding of the church. Never in history has there been a time where there is a people so much like those of us living in the Western world, in the Western culture, specifically people who are citizens of this country. Never in history has there been such a time that there's been such a spirit of individualism as there is today. People think, some of you, some of you who perhaps are already members of this church, think of yourself as an individual before God. And it is true that each of us will give account of ourselves to Christ. But God didn't save you to live an individualistic Christian life. God did not save you to live as some kind of free agent in this world. When God saved you, he saved you from something, God's wrath. He saved you for something, God's glory. Now listen to me. He saved you into something, God's church. Now you do belong to his church in the sense that the church is made up of the people of God. But everything you read in the New Testament about the church, everything, beginning with the words of Jesus and concluding with the final message of the Apostle John that we know as the revelation of Jesus Christ, Everything is written from a perspective that those who know Christ will belong to and live in covenant relationship with a local New Testament expression of the church at large. Like the tip of an iceberg, the part that you see, the local church today, is a tip, it is a small portion of something much larger beneath the surface. 
And we as Calvary Baptist Church, we are like the tip of the iceberg, but we belong to something much larger. But understand that you, anybody else that, that claims the name of Christ, cannot live apart from a local church and think that you are pleasing unto the Lord. That is secular, individualistic teaching. It is designed to destroy and it is designed for the destruction of the local church as we know it. How can I prove that to you? Well, I'll be the first to say to you, I cannot take you to a chapter and verse that says, thou shalt be a church member. There is no such verse, at least that I have found. But I want you to think a little differently about how to arrive at biblical conclusions. Because you understand, we have to take the Scripture and draw from it and unpack what Scripture teaches to find the truths that we draw from. And so what do we do? We look to these metaphors. Specifically, I draw your attention to three. I have two points for you. The first one is three metaphors. The second one is three implications. All right? Three metaphors about the church. As I said, the Bible does not command you to join a church. It is written from the perspective that that is a natural thing of being born again and joining in with God's people and living alongside them and with them. There are a series of metaphors that shape our identity and challenge our nearly constant inclination to individualism, to self-sufficiency, to pride, to the idea that I got thisness. Whatever it is, I got it. Whatever it is, I can handle it. Instead, these metaphors force us to ask, does my membership look like that? And as I mentioned these three to you, you need to ask that question. Does your membership in Calvary Baptist Church look like this? And if you're not connected to a local church here or somewhere else, you need to ask yourself, why not? Being a church member shapes how we choose to live. The first metaphor is a body. The Lord's church is a body. We read these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. One body, many members. One spirit into which we have all drunk from. 
one spirit who lives inside of each of us. Now, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and to ask some questions. What if you take a part of the body and you cut it off and separate it? Does it still perform its function? He talks about maybe one member being an eye, another member being an ear. I personally like to think of myself as an elbow. Not too good to look at, but where would you be without it? Right? Can you imagine feeding yourself if you didn't have an elbow? You'd have to have somebody else feed you. The church is a body. We can draw so many lessons from that made up of hands, feet, toes, arteries, adrenal glands. And all of that is rich for application. You see, it dignifies every member of the church. He goes on to say that though some members may not be that noticeable, Oftentimes, it is the least member that is one of the most important. My granddaughter can tell you that when something as unseen as your pancreas doesn't function properly, it will change your entire life. One body, many members. You see, the danger is not being in the body. You want to live an individualized Christian life? You want to sneak into church at the last minute and hide in the corner of the building and leave just as soon as it's over? Not fellowshipping, not serving, not giving, not doing the one another's with other people? Understand, it is you, it is you that is being exposed as being dead, at least to the value of the kingdom. You are as of much value as a discarded and detached limb. You see, the metaphor ties our spiritual good to one another. And that's why the Lord gives us in the New Testament some 26 or 28 one another commandments. It's showing the interdependence that you must have other Christians. You need other Christians as much as you need the Lord. Now listen to me. I'm not preaching heresy. I'm just saying to you that according to the New Testament, you don't have the Lord if you don't have brothers and sisters in Christ because when He saved you, He made you a part of His body. He made you a part of His church. He made you a part of something that you need to be actively involved in where you worship, where when one member suffers, all members suffer. And when one rejoices, all rejoice. The shared life between the members assumes that they're rubbing shoulders with one another, bearing one another's griefs, and sharing in each other's burdens. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul refers to members of the body of Christ five times. If you're saved, the implication is you're saved as a part of the body of Christ, the local church. Not only is the church 
a body. It is a family. And again, it's part of Satan's attack on the church today to divide families so much and fragment families so much that almost every family here has some black sheep or has some ongoing conflict or has some disconnect from members of your family. But it wasn't intended to be that way from the beginning. As God's household, as God's family, it represents a network of relationships and obligations that we are bound to one another. I have a memory Maybe one of the earliest memories I have of being about four years old and remembering the day that my dad, my adoptive father, and my mom took me to the courthouse in Little Rock, Arkansas to finalize the papers that made me a member of my dad's family. Now I realized we didn't have a blood tie but we had a legal tie. And understand, the Bible says that when you come to know Christ, you are adopted into his family. Now, if my dad had had other natural sons or daughters, he could have disowned any of them that he wanted to. A parent has that prerogative, except in the case of adoption. And if you adopt a child, you can never disown that child or cut them out. We are not only born again into God's family, we are adopted into God's family. We are twice owned by God. And that makes us brothers and sisters. And you know how it is. When you get the brothers and sisters you got, sometimes you just wish life had been different. I used to say, I was an only child, that I used to go to bed at night. And I remember this, crying at night, wishing I had brothers and sisters until I said that one Sunday in a service and someone told me after church, well, goody for you, I went to bed at night crying because I did have brothers and sisters. I guess we're never satisfied, right? Church is a family all kinds of family implications. There's a series, a network of relationships and obligations. And membership, listen to me, in the Lord's church is not just something for you to check off on your checklist. It's not just something for you to do so that you can say, hey, I'm a member down there in case anybody has any questions. It is a covenant relationship. It comes with responsibilities. It comes with obligations. It comes with privileges. You see, it's belonging to the household, not just being the neighbor next door that comes over for a meal every once in a while. That's what some members do, how they treat their membership. I'll just show up every once in a while. I'll just do this every once in a while as it's good for me. I'll not enmesh myself too deeply with these people's lives. Can I say to you, there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that. A third metaphor. The church is not only a body and a family. The church is a temple. 
You can actually throw two or three of the metaphors here together. A temple, a building, a house, a structure. Peter says that we are living stones that build up a spiritual house. Paul tells the Corinthians, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? We have always preached that and always taught that in an individual way. But he wasn't speaking to individuals. He was speaking to a church collective. And understand the very structure of what he's saying is, you, as a church, you are the temple of God. And God's Spirit dwells in you, not just as individuals, but together. And when you are together, there is a synergism. We are more than the sum total of our individual parts, but it grows into something so much more. He goes on to say, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. In the Old Testament, it was a building, an ornate building in Jerusalem. But now it is you, it is me, it is the church of the living God. That's just three metaphors, three pictures to help you understand what it means to belong to the Lord and to belong to His church. We are a body, we are a temple, we are a family. Well, what are three implications of that? I could give you many, but I've already emphasized these. Follow along with me. The first implication is that church membership is biblical. In all of those metaphors, you don't see individuals. You see a collection of people together. As a body, as a family, as a temple. You can take one brick out, you are a living stone. Peter said, and set it to the side, and what do you have? You have a stone. You put it together in this building known as the church, and you become a very important part of what it means to be the people of God. Someone has given this illustration, though it's not a biblical metaphor, it is certainly an applicable metaphor. What happens if you have a bed of coals? You are getting ready to perhaps cook a dinner over those coals, or maybe they are the coals in the fireplace, and you take a pair of tongs, and you reach in, and you get a hold of one coal, one uh, piece of burning ember, and set it over to the side. What happens? It loses its heat. It loses its light. It loses its value. It turns black and grows cold. And that's the way many church members are today. They've separated themselves from the Lord's church. They have alienated themselves from a source of power in their lives. They have believed the devil's lie that well, this thing of knowing Christ and walking with Christ is an individual thing anyway, only to a degree. 
but much more so, it is life with other believers. And so the implications are these. Church membership is biblical. It, whether it is a body or a family or a building, it's impossible to read those scriptures and assume that you can opt out. You can't opt out. And if you've tried, and if that's how you're living now, listen to me, you are out of God's will for your life. And you're playing a dangerous game if you are a true child of God. And you are hurting and harming and damaging every person that you influence by opting out of what it means to be a member, an active covenant member of the Lord's church. A second implication is this. The Bible portrays the Christian life in such a way that it can never be separated from the church. It should never be. Membership means having a vital connection to a local congregation. And that connection, listen to me, is what shapes your everyday life. It shapes your everyday life. There's not a day that goes by do I, that I do not think of you. Well, of course, you're the preacher. We pay you to do that. Let me tell you something. You couldn't pay me enough money to think about some of you every day. I hope it doesn't hurt your feelings. But you couldn't pay me enough to do it for money. I do it because my spiritual life, my walk with God depends on you. It depends on you. You do not understand. You would never know. You will never know unless God calls you into the ministry and makes you a pastor. And maybe I'll just pray that God will do that for every one of you, men and women alike. I'm joking. You'll never know the encouragement of what it's like to walk up these steps on a Sunday morning and to walk to this place and to turn around and see you. You never know you will never know what an encouragement that is to me. What a blessing, how it strengthens my life. How it lifts up my heart to worship the Lord. How it strengthens my resolve to stay faithful all the way to the finish line. Instead of quitting, giving up or falling into sin like so many of God's men have done. And the reverse is also true. You'll never know what a discouragement it is to walk into this place and look out and not see you. And to not see you. I know that oftentimes there are legitimate reasons for that. But most of the time, those reasons are not legitimate. They're just selfish. 
But it's discouraging. It's discouraging. And there are times on Sunday, I go home like most preachers and say, okay, I'm done. I'm done. Pastor Dan knows about that. How many preachers on Sunday night and Monday are writing their resignation letters because of the discouragement sometimes of the day before. You see, my life is connected to you. And your lives, whether you know it or not, is connected with each other. And every single person on this floor, up there in the balcony, down the hall in the kitchen, getting things ready for our new members event today, every member of this church, even those of you sitting at home and watching this service, everyone is needed. God, for some reason, in some way known only to Him, He brought this group of people together. That's providence. That's the work of God. And even if you're a guest today, God brought you here on this day. There's nothing in the Bible that ever portrays the Christian life being an individual life out there living as a free agent, an independent contractor. That person will never be pleasing to God, will never have the anointing of God on his or her life. And the last implication is this. I need to finish. These metaphors encourage us to consider, to consider how we might more fully integrate our lives with others in our local congregation. See, thinking of church membership rightly, thinking of the church rightly, leads us to, not only to the conclusion I'm supposed to belong to a church, but it causes us to also consider how we might be more fully integrated into the church in that local congregation. It's useful to identify the specific responsibilities of church membership. We'll do that in the weeks ahead, but consider for a moment the larger principle at play here. This whole idea of belonging to one another ought to create a disposition of the heart. It ought to foster a disposition of the heart. What I'm saying to you is if you're a born-again believer and you are a member of Calvary Church, these truths, these metaphors ought to foster within you to create, to motivate a disposition of the heart that asks the question not just why we join a church, but that we need the church for the shaping of our character and our values. That belonging to a church doesn't just tell us what to do, it tells us who we are as people of the Lord, as members of this church. 
I am but one stone in that temple being built, but I am an integral part of that temple. I am but one member of that family, but I really count as a member of that family. I am but one part of that body, but that body would never be the same without me. And I ought to be asking the question, what do I do to help fulfill and build up not just my life, but my brothers and sisters in Christ? That's why we finish with these words from the book of Galatians chapter 6. Read verse 9 and 10 with me out loud. Put it on the screen, Joey. Read this out loud with me. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Father, thank you for this amazing, amazing thing that we call the church. We have so taken it for granted. We have seen ugly things in the name of the Lord, in the name of the church take place. Some here have been hurt by past church experiences. But Father, that's not the picture of your church. That's not the true picture. That's the picture of sinful man. The bottom line is this. If you've saved us, you've saved us from the wrath of the Father. You've saved us for your honor and glory. And you've saved us into the local church. May we love her and devote ourselves to covenant membership and to a relationship with God and with our brothers and sisters in a far greater way than we ever have before. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.